Welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics podcast with Dr. Lance Miller. Each week, we bring you interviews with the top minds in the orthodontic profession in order to heighten your expertise, boost your motivation, and raise your skills. Join us as we help doctors take their practices and their lives to the next level. And now, here's your host, Dr. Lance Miller. Welcome to another episode of the Elevate Orthodontics podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Lance Meller. Thank you for joining us again this week. It's been a couple weeks since we've released an episode. This fall has been unexpectedly more busy than I thought it was going to be, but I'm glad to be back with you, and we've got some exciting interviews coming up here in the upcoming weeks before the end of the year. Today, our guest on the podcast is Dr. Sean Carlson. I'm really excited to bring you this interview It's a great one, and I know you're going to get a lot out of it, learning more about orthoscience and some of the projects that Dr. Carlson is working on. So stay tuned for that. This last weekend, I was at the Invisalign Summit. It's the first time I attended that meeting, and it was great to catch up with friends. A few weeks before that, I was at the NISO convention, the New England Society of Orthonics, and they did a fantastic job putting on a wonderful meeting with some really progressive speakers and a little bit of a different format with staff and doctors in the same session. There was one track of lectures for everyone at the meeting, and I think it really turned out great. There was an exciting energy there, and it was one of the best regional meetings that I've ever been to. I want to start today by talking a little bit about the difference between consumers and patients. And this is something that we hear in our profession. We have to market to consumers. We have to think in a consumer mindset. But yet there are those who kind of bristle at this notion and they want to talk about, no, these are our patients and we have to treat them like patients. We have a different obligation and responsibility to our patients as professionals. And I've kind of had both of these ideas existing simultaneously in my mind, but never been able to fully reconcile them with each other. And this weekend when I was sitting in some of the lectures, uh, some of the speakers I think did a good job pointing out some things about this concept that, that were really relevant. And the first point is that many people begin their orthodontic journey as consumers, especially when we're thinking about adult patients. These patients aren't sure whether they want to spend their money on orthodontics or whether they want to spend their money on a new big screen television or a renovation for their bathroom or a vacation. They've got many options in the marketplace. And so I think when we are trying to grow our practices, when we're thinking about drawing in and expanding the market share of orthodontics amongst the population, I think we really do have to consider people as consumers. And what are their needs as consumers? What are their needs in terms of the experience they're going to have in our office? What are their needs in terms of flexibility, convenience, financial options? We really have to approach this from that standpoint in order to be able to draw them into our sphere and to be able to influence them. Once we get them in our office and they decide they want to continue, then certainly that relationship translates more into a doctor-patient relationship, and we're doing all of the things that we have been trained to do, and we're respecting the oaths that we've taken to put our patients first and do no harm and all of the other doctorish sort of things that we agreed to do. In addition to that, we can't really ignore the fact that our patients are still in that consumer mindset. So even as we bring in this kind of doctor-patient relationship, we still need to be paying attention to things like customer service. Uh, We need to be paying attention to things like personalized experiences in our office. So I think that these two concepts aren't really in opposition to each other at all. They kind of work hand in hand. And as we think about converting customers or consumers into patients, 
I think we'll think about our marketing and our front-end systems, our phones and those sorts of things in a way that maybe is a little bit different than we would if we think about them as patients from the very first time that we call. Uh, and likewise, if we continue that mindset throughout our treatment, uh, I think we'll have more success and, and perhaps more enjoyment. We'll be practicing in a way that's unique and kind of sets us apart in the healthcare industry. And I think that's something uh, that I'm going to be trying to work on in the new year. We've got a wonderful interview with Dr. Carlson coming up after this message from one of our sponsors. Practice with Clarity. This podcast is being brought to you by 3M Oral Care, an industry leader in orthodontics. 3M Clarity Aesthetic Orthodontic Solutions provide choice, flexibility, and control so you can achieve the best outcomes for your patients and your practice. The Clarity portfolio includes a range of individualized treatment solutions like new 3M Clarity Ultra Self-Ligating Brackets. This fully aesthetic solution meets your patient needs and ensures precise, predictable outcomes from start to finish. Visit 3M.com slash Clarity to learn more. Dr. Sean Carlson is a board-certified orthodontist who received his dental degree from Harvard University in 1994. He received both his orthodontic specialty training and his Master of Science degree from the University of California at San Francisco in 1998. Dr. Carlson is an associate professor of orthodontics at the University of the Pacific Arthur A. Dugoni School of Dentistry. He's received several academic research awards, including two American Association of Orthodontists Foundation Awards, and has published numerous articles and abstracts in the orthodontic literature. He lectures nationally on a variety of clinical and theoretical subjects. His current lecture schedule focuses on three-dimensional imaging and orthodontics and the treatment of dental impactions. His primary focus is on using computer technology to improve the way we study, teach, and practice orthodontics. Dr. Carlson lives and practices in Mill Valley, California. He's the co-founder and CEO of the company OrthoScience. You may recognize him and his trusted sidekick, Dakota, from his popular video series, Dog Walks and Science. His personal interests stem from his longstanding love of music and art. He's never been far from an artistic outlet and applies this creative passion to his orthodontic practice. Dr. Carlson, welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics podcast. Thank you for having me, Lance. It's a pleasure. That's that's one of the that's one of the best bios I've heard. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's great. I'll I'll use that one. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll send it right over. Um, it, it's great here. So uh, you're out there in California. Are you affected at all by these wildfires? Is that at all in your neck of the woods? Oh man, thank you for asking. Yeah, we're tremendously affected. It's been so devastating out here, and you know we've been dry for a long time, just the whole state. But the fires happen just north of us. We're in, in Mill Valley, which is just across the Golden Gate Bridge from San Francisco. And the fires are probably, you know, an hour or so north. And the smoke has just really just ravished the whole coast of California. And the Bay Area is just getting stuck with it. The winds have been really low. So our air quality is like below Beijing right now. And it's been that way for almost a week. And so we're just having just terrible, terrible time just trying to get outside. It's been total lockdown. Yeah, yeah. I can only imagine. When I was in college in Utah, we had a small forest fire and, and we had some smoke down in the valley. But I don't think it's anything on the scale of what you guys are having. That's, has it affected your practice or any of your patients? Or You know, most people are just, just getting into, they're just wearing masks. So, you know, you, you go outside and you have a mask on. And without it, you know, you feel like you've, been smoking all day. It's uh, it's tough. Right, yeah. right. 
Well, I'm excited to have you on the podcast to talk a little bit about a couple of topics, but let's start by hearing a little bit about yourself and your practice and kind of how you got interested in this whole world of 3D orthodontics. Yeah, it, it's it's interesting because my path in orthodontics has been, if you if you talked to me 20 years ago when I graduated, and if you told me I'd be where I was now, I wouldn't have believed it. And if you told me I'd be doing with technology what we're doing now, I wouldn't have believed it. Because so much of the stuff we're using now, just even this podcast, right? So much of the technology, it's mind-blowing how quickly information can travel. So I got out of residency and everything was non-digital. We were still using you know, regular radiographic images, just getting into digital x-rays. Photographs were still on slides when I was in residency. So, you know, if you had to change your presentation, you had to go reprint the slides. So to, to think of how far things have come in such a short period of time, I was really fortunate to have a great mentor. When I, when I finished my dental training, which was 94, I came out to San Francisco and, and uh, I started studying under a guy named Dr. Sheldon Baumrin who's just a big clinical research guy. And, and he was into big data before big data was actually a, a word. And I got involved in clinical research and then did my ortho training and stayed on faculty at the same time I started my practice. And in the research lab, we were doing a lot with the early cone beam images that were coming out in 2001. And what happened for me is I just, I realized this is the future of orthodontic. We can finally see patients in 3D. This is what I wanted all the time, but there's no way I was going to see it in my practice. You didn't have computers big enough to push these images. So I thought this will be great for my research arm, but I'll never see it in clinical practice. And, you know, sure enough, seven years later, I bought a machine that could do it in my practice. And now I can spin around 3D images on my phone and we have a facial scanner on my new iPhone. It's, it's, it's insane how quickly this is moving. So to, to say I would be here now talking to you about the things that we're going to talk about in this next hour, I would have said you're crazy. There's no way you'll have a computer in your pocket. No way. Yeah. So I'm, I'm excited because everything is happening so much faster than I expected. And what it means for us as clinical uh, orthodontists, it's just spectacular. Yeah. Well, you know, I think when it comes to this topic of cone beam CTs, three-dimensional diagnosis, you know, it's a lot of it is, I think, at times uh, uh, an answer in search of a question, right? We, we have this information <laughs> yeah. and we don't entirely know what to do with it. We're kind of the dog that's caught the car and we're a little bit unsure as to what happens next. So maybe for those who don't know a lot about your company and, and specifically I'm referring here to, to OrthoScience, tell us a little bit about that uh, objective, what, what you're trying to achieve and kind of what people should expect from that. Yeah, and I, I love that you bring up that analogy, Lance, because that's what it is. We, we've caught the car and we're just going, uh, let's get a pan and a Seth because we know that. Yep. So this technology is, is so much more when you get into it. But, you know, this cliche saying of, you know, you don't know what you don't know. It's, it's really true in cone beam. And for me to go back to 2008, when I started to do it on every patient in my practice, I was still thinking the way I was trained, which was panoramic, cephalometric, sagittal, vertical, 
you know, study models. And that's how I learned ortho. So I was still doing a lot of things that were traditional in terms of ortho mechanics and ortho treatment plans. And when you add the transverse and you add the third dimension, your whole world of thinking changes. So I like to think of it as we have this new technology, right? We have these 3D cone beam machines that are super powerful. I see them as simply cameras. So all they're doing is you're taking a picture. People think that that's the end of it, right? You buy a machine, it gets into your practice. The, you know, the company drops it off, teaches you how to use it, and then says, okay, go have fun. And you just got a really nice digital camera. When you need to do things with it after that, that's where I think people get lost. And this is where our profession is really lacking because the education after the machine gets dropped off is pretty terrible. And so we started teaching cone beam technology about four years ago. We started a course. Um, a good friend of mine, Dr. Juan Carlos Quintero, and I started teaching 3D orthodontics based on all the things that we were discovering and finding in our practices. Because what we realized is once you get the image, how to use that image for diagnosis, what we call treatment rehearsals, which is you know, going through your biomechanics on a computer first, analyzing your case at the end in 3D using three-dimensional superimpositions, using surface mapping, where now intraoral scanning is, is adding to the, the detail of that. Using all those things together is what I like to think of as making the movie after you've captured the raw image on film, right? So you can have all the great pictures in the world from this great machine, but unless you can go through the editing process and make the final movie, the orthodontists are lost. We want the movie. We want to see what the result is of the final treatment. We want to see how it changes our treatment planning. And so what, what came to me kind of slowly through, through the years is that what we were teaching was actually all there digitally. So visually, what, we, what you see when you start looking at these images and diagnoses and, and treatment analysis, all of that can be transferred digitally. Uh-huh. instantly and it can be scaled globally instantly so the concept of orthoscience was born out of that i i figured we have all this beautiful imagery why can't we just get that to the world of orthodontists because then they'll actually be able to see why this technology is important it's not the machine it's what you do with it that's interesting and i think that's where people are are lacking the education which is what orthoscience is is trying to solve Sure. So when are you guys planning on launching? What is it that we can expect? How is it that, a let's say, a private practice orthodontist would interact with this? And is it is it a repository of cases? Tell us a little bit more about kind of the hands-on. Yeah, so I just um, I, I was just at the, the AO headquarters last week talking with the board of trustees about orthoscience, and they, you know, they wanted to know the answer to the same question. <laughs> so we actually... We did a we did a soft launch in September, so we are out there. the The site is live; it works. It's um so it's an application, it's a platform. It's not a website, so you can think of it like it's the best things of Facebook and LinkedIn. And imagine if that bred with with Netflix and Apple TV, and it was all ortho all the time. That's what we created. So. Everything from, you know, uh, uh, the, the doctor catalog of every doctor you, you can find in the globe, all that information that you might find on LinkedIn is there. 
the casework in particular, T1, beginning of treatment, and T2, end of treatment, we go through a very rigorous analysis in three dimensions, which includes iterative superimpositions on cranial base and mandibular structures. So you can actually see what your mechanics did, and you can see what the growth response was in three dimensions. So if you really start looking at how condyles grow and what the class two response is to all these different appliances, right? Herps, forces, elastic, motions, um, aligners, whatever. I want to know as a clinician what all those things do differently to my maxillary molars or my maxillary incisors. So we show all of that visually, including the treatment record. So, you know, you're seeing a patient from start to finish all of those treatment records that you put in for every appointment, you know, class two elastics, wire, this was the size, this is how long it was in. All that treatment record is there for every case that we have on orthoscience. So it's more than a repository. It's, it's about getting connected solutions and getting them accessible and they're meticulously tagged. So for example, if tomorrow you were to go on orthoscience and said, I want to see all the class two females that were treated with Herbst appliances. I want to go and look at all those and compare them side by side. Or maybe I want to compare a Herbst with, you know, a new aligner treatment versus a TAD. I want to see what those differences were. You actually have the ability to do that and save and store it. So what's a little bit different than what's happening on Facebook right now, which I think is tremendous, by the way, the amount of information going back and forth in the digital groups absolutely mind-blowing that orthodontists have that. But what I want from Facebook is I want my ability to, to store and organize all this cool stuff that's happening in a way that I can go back and retrieve it. Because I see all these really great threads, right? And then like three weeks later, I'm like, oh, what was that? What was that? How can I? I can't just search class two and go to that box. Yeah, that's true. Where I have all the cool class two stuff. Or I really like this doctor. I want to follow all his stuff and save it right there. That's what we do. And so setting up that foundation is incredibly difficult. So that's what we've really been working on, just, just hardcore for the last year and a half. And so um, to go back to your original question, we, we soft launched in September. So we're live. We've been alpha testing and kind of, you know, just soft beta testing from September. And so we plan a pretty big global launch in, um, in January. We've got 1,500 docs that are sitting there waiting to get, get on, and we're just slowly rolling them in so that we can test and see what's interesting, see what doesn't work. And so getting this right, to me, is really important. Sure. And I'm really big on design, so it's got to look and feel cool and work. <laughs> yeah. So we're trying to go through every exercise. Sure. But it's coming. So Sean, give us an example briefly of something that you have learned or that you have changed in your treatment approach based on something that you're diagnosing using some of these 3D modalities. What's like a brief example or two? Well, I, I can tell you one thing of the, of the hundreds of cases we have on orthoscience if you're looking relative to cranial base, which most of us learn the Bjork methods of superimposition on cephalometric x-rays, if you're looking at cranial base, what's very surprising is maxillary molars do not move distally. 
with the biggest appliance you throw at them. We just don't see it. And you can have class two correction. Very rarely is it from distalizing a, a, a molar. That to me, when I started to see it on my cases, and I have, I have cases, I use a lot of forces, appliances. I use a lot of class two elastics. I use twin blocks. So um, for appliances like that, what I learned was, oh, these have a big headgear effect and you know, you're going to get this holding back the maxilla and holding back the maxillary dentition. And what I see is that doesn't happen. What's really changed for me is the way I diagnose, number one, because I know what I can actually accomplish and what I don't. So when I see cases at T1 and I see where the roots are, so let's just take, for example, a class two, right? A full cusp class two. There's a difference if it's a crown class two versus a root apex class two. Those are very different treatments to me. And so when you have this three-dimensional information where you can actually see and quantify that, what changed most for me is I used to do a lot of full fixed appliance class two elastic diagnosis treatment plans, right? right. Maybe a little end on and I'd, I'd say full fixed appliances class two elastic. And I treated those all the time. And I'd get six months into treatment and I'd, and I'd say, well, why is this class two so hard? Or why is it taking so long? Or why is it not responding? When I went back and, and started looking at the roots of cases that weren't going as I thought they should go, I realized that they were much more of a severe root apex class two than I had actually diagnosed on my models. When I discovered that, so many of my treatment plans changed to more aggressive class two correction. So instead of full fixed class two elastics, it was full fixed enforces or twin block followed by full fixed. And just that in and of itself completely changed my treatment times and completely changed my treatment communication just radically. Yeah. No, I, I love that. That's a really concrete example and something that I've certainly not given, you know, a lot of thought to, a root position of my maxillary molar in, in, a, in a sagittal dimension. So we've talked a little bit about diagnosis. We've talked a little bit about imaging, gathering data, and making treatment decisions. What about treatment modalities? Are you as enthusiastic? I mean, I, I just came from the Invisalign meeting, so there was a lot of discussion about digital treatments versus yeah. perhaps analog treatments. How do you feel about uh, digital orthodontics, clear aligners, sure smile, computer-aided treatments of, of various types with, with artificial intelligences? Do you think that's where our profession is headed, or what is your what is your thoughts on, uh, on treatment modalities? Yeah, I, I think that's where it's headed. I mean, I think digital orthodontics is, it's imminent. I mean, if you can't see that, I think you're, you're missing what computers do for you all day, every day. Yes, it's going to change how we diagnose. And so just to touch back on the, on the orthoscience project for a second, we see our project as what we call collaborative treatment intelligence. So when we put solutions together, so when I know what my forces does in my hands and some of these align masters out there know what their aligners do in their hands or what their CADs do in their hands. If I have those solutions quantified, because we can measure it now in three dimensions, and now I add up those solutions by the thousands, imagine the artificial intelligence for making 
diagnostic decisions for all of us down the road. I want a world where if I'm an orthodontist in my practice, stuck with a problem I've never seen, maybe it's an open bite, maybe it's a class two that's not responding. I want to be able to upload that scan, whether it's an intraoral or a cone beam scan, to orthoscience, and it will find me 10 doctors that have solved that problem very successfully, and I can copy their plan. Because I really don't care what people use. And I think a lot of docs get really attached to their tools, their appliances. I don't care if you move teeth with coat hangers. I more care about the result. However you get there, if it's easy for the patient and easy for you and the result is stable, doesn't matter. So I think we can use the technology that we're all collecting or the data, I should say, that we're all collecting in our practices every single day. If we use that in a powerful, smart way, we're all going to be better at orthodontics. My sense is I think what's going to happen, Lance, is there's a good chunk of us that will probably go away. I mean, I think there's some of us that will be out of a job because if you are just doing easy stuff, computers can do easy stuff. I mean, everybody hates on the direct-to-consumer aligner market, right? And I understand that vitriol, but there's probably a place for it. And I'm not super, super disappointed that it's going to have anything to do with my market. That's not what I treat. I treat massive class twos and I treat massive, you know, skeletal discrepancies and a lot of things that are hard that I know that market is never going to touch. So it doesn't worry me and what I do, but I think people that want an easy solution, they're probably going to have some competition. Right, right. I think that's definitely true. As the complexity ramps up, the value of our professional experience and opinion then becomes more and more valuable. Agree. Let's switch gears here a little bit. I was uh, listening to your Dog Walks series, and you, you made the comment, you said, I've been practicing orthodontics for 20 years, and I've had a lot of problems and made a lot of mistakes. I've solved a lot of problems. Uh, but by no stretch do I think I knew know everything. So tell yes. us a little bit, maybe uh, especially for younger practitioners, what are some of the mistakes you've made? Maybe they're practice management, staff management, uh, patient management. Okay. Uh, what are some things, you know, some pitfalls that you've learned uh, through the School of Hard Knocks? Oh, my gosh, there's so many. And and I'm still learning them. Gosh, <laughs> I, I just, the, the pain, uh, here's, here's, I think, the biggest take home. Um, and it's something that I'm still learning in life and in practice is that when I was younger, I always wanted to get to a place where it was easier, right? Like staff management was easier and treatments were easier and getting through a day of patients was easier. I was always looking for the, the place where it would be comfortable and, and easy, what I've come to realize is that expectation is my biggest mistake where <laughs> if, if I'm looking for the easy, I've, it's just not the way to go through life. I think you have to be hungry for harder problems. And if you solve one, then that just sets you up to solve a more complex one. So I think if you're dealing with people like we do in our profession, it is always hard. I always make the statement that there is never an easy orthodontic case. You're treating another human being with their own expectations and individual ideas about what you're doing. 
that will always be hard. If you accept that early, you're going to be much more happy in practice. <laughs> and if you accept that your staff and team has their own life that they're trying to live, then you will be happier in practice. It will always be hard. This is, and this is what's interesting. It cuts to social media, right? We see all these, all these guys out there lecturing and they're traveling the world and their practice is killing it. And, you know, they're doing all these new techniques and it seems easy. You know, they're throwing tads in on their own. And if you're a young guy out there, if I was seeing that when I graduated, I would be freaked out thinking there's just, there's no way I could do that. There's just no way. And knowing that that's not really the truth of what's happening, that is equally hard for all these guys. That just doesn't get expressed a lot. Yeah. That's what's unfortunate. I can't tell whether this advice is like encouraging or discouraging, but... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> it's supposed to be encouraging. Because it's it's, it's never going to get any easier. We're yeah. all working. I mean, yeah. But that's, that's, you know, that's a good way to get through a day, right? I mean, right. if you wake up and say, okay, I got I to gotta work today, you know, then you're ready for it. So I think when we try to kick back that we, we get in trouble. No, and I like what you say about harder problems. I mean, that's definitely, I think, why a lot of us became orthodontists is because we're problem solvers. We like to look at something and be able to figure it out and solve it. Totally. And when certain problems become easy, you know, it, we can find other challenges and, and the fulfillment of, of learning and growing, I think, is, is what's exciting. If you're working on a problem that you care about, if you're working on, on a project that's meaningful to you, you know, uh, it, you're right. It, it's always challenging, but, uh, you know, the reward is all, always there as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so new graduates uh, are getting out these days with, you know, a tremendous amount of student loans. They're kind of coming into a marketplace with a different set of pressures. You know, what advice would you have for them? Or, you know, what do you think this has in terms of an effect on our profession? It's, it's a great question. And it's not, it's not talked about directly enough during residency. So I came from a divorced family and single mom and you know, like college was not paid for. And, and, you know, I went to Harvard for dental school, which, you know, at the time seemed incredibly expensive. Now I look back and, you know, my tuition bills seem really cheap now, but, yep. but I came out with hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. And this was at the time for me seemed insurmountable. And if you're patient, then what happens is you, you get out of that. So whether it's $300,000 or whether it's eight, hundred thousand dollars. Orthodontists are incredibly successful. Even if you're not great at orthodontics, you're going to be really successful. If you were to look at the, the net worth for me, and if you looked at the first 10 years out of practice, you would see that it stayed six figure low negative net worth for the first decade of my practice life. People don't think that's fun or healthy, but it eventually starts to tick up in the right direction. It's just, you have to be patient. And I think a lot of guys and girls get out of school and they want to, they want to buy the house year one and they want to get the cars and they want to start traveling and enjoy all this life, hard stuff that they've been working for. And you don't need to do it that quickly. And, and I think if you just go out and you focus the first five years on learning more, you will be a tremendously successful orthodontist at year 10 
if you go out and chase money for the first five years, you're going get, to get to year 10 and wonder why you picked this career. So I think just be patient. Don't worry about holding the debt. Just, you know, get, get the bills paid, keep your lifestyle sustainable and be patient with it. It comes back. And when you get into your forties, it, it starts to really move in the right direction, but you don't need to be a multimillionaire at, at 32. It's just <laughs> stay patient. It's fine. I thought that's what the internet tells us we have to do. <laughs> that's what the internet supposedly tells you what to do. Just be patient. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I think that, you know, when we're in a profession like orthodontics, in theory, we went into it to to serve people over a period of many years. And I think, as you mentioned, if we set ourselves up for, you know, a long and, and successful practice, whether that's in the skills that we have, but also kind of the work-life balance that we have, you know, I think that we'll that we'll uh, you know, have the longevity that these financial issues will take care of themselves. But the pressures, I think, and and the demographics of our profession, I do think, become somewhat concerning. And the, the educational system that we have, I think, has some pretty serious weaknesses in that regard. Agree, hundred percent. Yeah, I completely agree. And and I think it's not talked about enough. So it's, it's good that even in, you know, in places like this forum that we're talking about it and people are at least getting out there and trying to be honest about money. But um, it is, it is very real. And I mean, I think it's, it's something that, you know, concerns the young orthodontists. And when you get out and you're seeing all this competition from, you know, guys doing it cheaper down the street, you know, girls offering this over here and, we tend to want to race ourselves to the bottom and say, oh, I just have to, I have to go cheaper and see more people. And I don't think that's the answer either. I think you just have to do what feels right for you and you'll be successful, but you just need to be patient. Yeah. Are there any things that you do in your personal life, in your daily routines? Is there any practices that, that you feel like help you to stay focused or stay energized or engaged so that you can give the energy you need to your practice and to these other projects that you have going on? Yeah, and, and it's a, this is a really great point because I, I've taught residents for, for the, the 20 years that I've been practicing. And one of the things that I always tried to get into their brains early on in their training was to take time for yourself. And so there's no, there's no need to work five, six, seven days, even if the money's right, you need to have decompression days. No, no matter what anybody says, seeing a day of patience, whether it's 40 or a hundred is really a lot of energy out. It's a tremendous amount of emotional energy. And most orthodontists get home at the end of that day and, you know, they just want to sit on the couch and stare at a wall and, you know, decompress a little bit. If you do that every day, it's going to get hard really fast. And so you have to take the time to either, you know, schedule your weeks off or stagger your work weeks. So for a long time, you know, I, I moved my practice pretty quickly to a 10 or 11 day a month practice very early on. And I got nothing but more profitable. So I inherited a practice that was 16 days a month of clinical practice. And I slowly pared it down to about 10 and a half. And I take a week off almost every six weeks. And I staggered my clinical practice for a while where I was working 
Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And then the next week I'd work Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So I had a five day weekend every other week. When I was in the office, I hit it really hard, but I had a lot of decompression time where I could work on the practice instead of in it during that time off. So the, the first thing is take care of your, your brain so that you have energy to really work when you're in your practice. If you go into your practice half-baked during the week, you're going to actually end up making more mistakes than you are going to help you. So make sure you're energized when you arrive at 8, 8.30, whatever. you got to be on. And so make sure you have enough energy to do that. The other thing I'd really encourage people to do is, is to take walks and think about stuff. You can get so much done when you walk. Yep. Internally, like your brain works on things that you just didn't even know it was working on. Just take a stroll and let things stew. Or if you have a really tricky case and you don't know how to diagnose it, don't force a treatment plan. Just put it in the brain and, and sleep on it. Come back the next day. I can't tell you how many times the treatment plan has been completely clear the next day when you just let your background processing work on it and, you know, taking a day off or taking a walk allows your brain to do that. It's really underrated. Yeah. For me, our walks are usually up, uh, in the mountains and the surrounding Hills here in New Hampshire. And, uh, I agree that time, you know, outside walking around in nature is, probably some of my favorite time. In the winter, it's a lot of downhill skiing. <laughs> but in the summer, it's a lot of hiking and, and, and outdoors in that regard. Yeah, just get, just getting out. That's that's the stuff. Yeah, yeah. Sean, this has been really fun. We're going to transition uh, to wrap things up to this uh, lightning round. We're going to do our uh, Elevate Express 8. I'm going to ask you eight questions and get some uh, quick answers from you. How's that sound? Okay, go for it. Let's do it. What's your go-to treatment for full-step class twos? Horses, appliances, and anterior bike pad. What is your standard retention protocol? Fix three to three in the lower. Um, removable three to three with no loop holly in the maxilla. Nighttime only. Never full-time retention post phase two treatment. From day one? From day one. Cool. Who are your role models or mentors? Oh man, I have so many. I could I could list a, a, a ton of musicians, but um, I would say orthodontically. I mean, my my biggest influence, of course, is is Dr. Shelley Baumrin, who taught me everything about clinical research, and yeah, did did a lot to get me where I am today. Awesome. Uh, what's your favorite orthodontic product or instrument? Something in your practice that you wouldn't want to practice without? Oh, my cone beam, hands down. Which one do you have? I have the iCat Flex. What's the best vacation you've ever taken? Ooh. God, all, all vacations are great. But I have to say the most magical place in the world is North Shore, Kauai. What's one great book that you've read recently? Oh, gosh, <laughs> the best book ever. It's a book called Play Bigger. And I recommend if you're an orthodontist with an entrepreneurial side, read Play Bigger. It is the best book ever. Awesome. Uh, what bracket system are you currently using? I use a GAC microarch. So I use a standard twin mm -hmm. and 18 slot, high torque anteriors in every case. I control the torque with the wire size. So yeah, I, I love it. And what is one area of orthodontics that you would like to learn more about in the upcoming year? Uh, I'd, I'd love to learn more about aligners. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm not, I'm not an aligner master by any stretch. I'd love to do more. Yeah. Awesome. So what these guys are doing with the liners, Lance is, is blowing my mind. It's, it's really amazing. Um, and I see some guys doing stuff with clear aligner therapy that I'm just, I'm blown away thinking yeah. no way you did that with a liner, but they're really talented with it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Sean, I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing with us a little bit more about orthoscience and some of your philosophies of practice. I really like the concept of what you're doing. I, I like the concept that, uh, you know, orthodontists can come together in a place that we can share information, we can share ideas, uh, and that we can improve our profession uh, through that exchange. Uh, that's, that's something that, that really resonates with me and I think is really impressive. Awesome. Thank you. I, I really appreciate it. And, and shout out to you, Lance, for doing what you do. Cause it's, I know how hard it is to get home from a clinic day and then jump onto a podcast and interview somebody. So, um, just big thank you to you for all the, the work you're putting in. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. I've, uh, I've, I've enjoyed every minute of it. So, uh, thanks again, Sean. And, uh, hopefully we'll, our paths will cross soon in person. For sure. Looking forward to it. Practice with confidence. This podcast was brought to you by 3M Oral Care. We collaborate with orthodontists to provide custom, flexible, aesthetic treatment solutions that showcase your expertise and ensure precise outcomes. Discover new 3M Clarity Ultra Self-Ligating Brackets. This fully aesthetic solution meets patient needs and ensures precise, predictable outcomes from start to finish. Together, we can change lives by creating healthy, beautiful smiles. Discover the clear advantage with Clarity. Visit 3M.com Clarity to learn more. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. I want to thank Dr. Sean Carlson for coming on the podcast tonight and sharing his thoughts and his experiences with us. I'd encourage you to head on over to his website at orthoscience.com to check out what they've got going on over there and to learn a little bit more about that project. Also, a thanks to the sponsor of this week's episode, 3M. Have a great week. We'll talk with you again soon. Thank you for listening to the Elevate Orthodontics podcast. For more episodes, subscribe on iTunes or visit our website at elevateorthopodcast.com. Tune in next week for another great episode.